The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollos, and you are listening to Pod Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 15 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Greetings. Thank you for tuning in to Pod Chat Talking Dance. If you're a regular listener, thanks for coming back. And if this is your first time here, welcome. I'm excited for today's episode. So I'm glad that you are all here. I am actually not going to be in New York over the next week and a half to teach my open classes. So if you were hoping to come take class with me, I'm sorry, but I will be back in September. I'm heading down to Houston. I'll be choreographing a new work on the Uptown Dance Company down there, as well as their pre-professional company at the Uptown Dance Center. So I, I won't be in New York. Um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this, though, because beyond getting to choreograph, I'll get a chance to teach and share our art form with the community. I'm running a, a ballet masterclass next Friday and a contemporary masterclass next Saturday. So if you're in the Texas area and you're interested in taking class with me, you can either reach out to me via my website contact page or Facebook and I can give you that information or you can Google Uptown Dance Company or Uptown Dance Center and reach out to them directly about those classes. So Hopefully, if you're in that area, I will see you. And if you are in New York, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be there for the next week. But don't worry, I have classes running through September. Okay, so I have a very special episode for you guys today. I'm not sure if you remember, if you're if you're a longtime listener, but back in January, I did a crossover episode about ballet techniques with Melissa Clapper, who is another podcast podcast host here on the Premier Dance Network. She runs a monthly podcast called Pirouettes from the Past, and Melissa, she's she's fantastic. She's a a professor at Rowan University, and she's very passionate about dance, and she is has so much information on the history of dance. So if, you, if you've if you never listened to her podcast, go over and listen to it. Um, and if you missed our, our first crossover podcast back in January, the Ballet Techniques Uncovered, be sure to go give that a listen. Um, but I'm excited today because Melissa and I have been talking for a little bit about doing a second crossover podcast, and today is the day. Uh, <laughs> I actually had coffee with Melissa today. We're friends outside of just our podcast community. She lives in the, the Philadelphia area, so we we had a, a nice cup of coffee and caught up today and talked about our episodes. So I, I'm excited to bring this one to you. All right, so today's podcast crossover topic. So Melissa is speaking about the challenging relationship between ballet and modern dance that existed historically back when modern dance was really starting to develop and uh, dancers were starting to move away from classical ballet technique and starting to develop their this new style of dance. And during this time, 
the the dancers really really rejected ballet. They wouldn't take ballet classes. They wouldn't see ballet classes. It was is a very uh, exacting split. Um, and so we were we were chatting and saying how it's interesting because now it seems like it, now that we're in the two thousand teens that while there was a great separation between ballet and modern dance that they are at first slowly but now more quickly they're starting to come back together towards each other and you'll find modern dancers taking ballet class and ballet dancer, dancers taking modern classes um so i am here to discuss with you about current relationships and like i said go check out melissa clapper's episode of pirates from the past to check out past relationships Alright, so I talk about ballet on here all the time. If you have any interest in information about ballet and training and culture and all of that, you are welcome to listen to the vast amount of episodes that I've, I've created. I think I'm on episode 75, so you got lots of options. So I'm going to talk a little bit about modern dance first. Um, I don't feel like it's really that beneficial for me to talk so much about the ballet stuff because I've already talked about it for, for quite a while. So. Let me first preface this with the fact that I started modern dance training back around the age of 14, and we did a, a variety of, of techniques. Um, and then I joined a small local modern dance company in the Philadelphia area called Contemporary Dance, Te uh, dance Theater, and that was back when I was a teenager. And then I fell in love with ballet a year or two after I started dancing for that company, and then I transitioned into uh, the Carroll Academy of Ballet and the School of American Ballet, and there was very little modern dance training back then. Um, so once I did that, I kind of stuck with ballet. So I have some knowledge of modern dance, but I just want to put that this disclaimer out there. I am not well schooled in modern dance. I uh, couldn't tell you tons of things about the very specific trainings, but um, I, I do have a background in it and I, I do have a, a good understanding. But a lot of what I'm talking about today is about my own personal experience uh, between the relationship of ballet and modern dance. All right, so now that we got that out of the way, <laughs> we can we can move forward. One thing that I want to I want to start with is the idea of exactly what modern dance is today. I find traveling around the country, seeing different schools teaching dancers modern dance, that mm, the term modern it's it can be confusing because you might go to say Alvin Ailey's school and take a modern dance class and you're getting a codified syllabus whether you're taking Horton or you're taking Graham um, I don't know if they have Cunningham um, there's also Limon technique things like that uh, so if you go to one of those schools you will be getting that but um, a good example of how confusing modern dance can be I teach contemporary dance classes and I'll get into that later but at this one of the schools that I teach at they're calling what I'm doing modern dance and I've been very uh, vocal about the fact that we need to change the uh, the idea that that's what I'm doing because I'm not and I I don't want to, people to come into my class that are educated in modern dance and say he's not teaching modern dance he's doing his own uh, his own technique um, a lot of people if you are doing any type of dance that's just sort of 
expressing yourself, <laughs> but it doesn't look like ballet technique or it doesn't look very jazzy uh, or lyrical. Often people will just call that modern dance. Um, I find a lot of schools are, are having teachers come in and they're really essentially chore choreography classes. They're not modern dance classes. So uh, today you could actually, since we have evolved so far along this line of modern dance, you could actually call these techniques classic modern dance. And that's more what I'm trying to talk about here. So before I really go into the relationships between ballet and modern dance and the dancers of today, I wanted to give you just a little bit of background, uh, or not, not necessarily background, but a little bit of a comparison. Um, I, like I said, I talk about ballet on here all the time, so I should give you an idea of what the works uh, are generally understood as in uh, the modern dance community um, in the past, and then talk about how the relationships are today and how people generally see them. Again, I said, I'm saying this is my opinion, um, but this is what I've seen in my vast experience traveling around the country. So, modern dance. If you look at the way that modern dance is constructed versus the way that ballets are constructed. Essentially, modern dance rejects the stereotypical relationships that you would see in ballet. So, for instance, like, you might see a man and a woman having a romantic pas de deux in a ballet, but in a modern dance work, you might see two men have a relationship, or not even just romance or story-wise. Often in ballet, you will see men partnering women. You rarely ever see women partnering women, um, or women partnering men, or men partnering men. So in modern dance, you will often see that they do reject this, and that they, all, they will mix it all up. Um, Another thing that is different that you you see between modern and ballet is that dancers often perform well beyond what would be deemed acceptable in the ballet world. Um, <laughs> a fun story uh, of my own is that I auditioned for Hubbard Street Dance Chicago back uh, in 2011, around the time that I was leaving Pacific Northwest Ballet, and a few months before I auditioned for them, I was having a meeting with Peter Bull, the artistic director of Pacific Northwest Ballet, and he asked me how old I was, and I told him I was 26 years old. And <laughs> I may have been reading into this too much, but I'm still going to tell the story anyway. He he goes, yeah, yeah, you've got a couple good years left in you. And it really like made my alarm bells go off, because I was like, 26, a couple years, I'll be like 30 by that point. Um, is he trying to say that I'm going to be aged out by the time I'm 30? And that was actually one of the comments that helped push me to, to leave the organization. But then a couple months later, there I was auditioning for Hubbard Street, and <laughs> I while I didn't get a job with the organization, Glenn Edgerton mentioned that he was interested, but I needed more experience with uh, more modern and contemporary works. And he asked me how old I was, and I said, I, at this point, I was now 27. He goes, yeah, yeah, you've got plenty of time. So it was really funny within a couple of months to see the idea of my age and the the limits of my career versus how far I could go long, uh, go 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 in my career. So. 
I thought that was interesting. But uh, another story. So I, I danced with a company called Dance Fusion here in Philadelphia um, for the Philly Fringe Festival back in 2011, 2012. And one of the works that I performed was a piece called Threnody. And for any of you that don't know who Mary Anthony is, she kind of had a cult following, um, but she was considered a modern master on the same time that she, she started to come about at the same time that Martha Graham did. Um, so we were doing this piece, Threnody, and there's a variety of characters. I'll tell you about the story in just a second. That's my next thing I want to talk about. But... Um, there is a mother character in, in the work, and the director of Dance Fusion actually performed this role in her 60s. And there was dance involved. It wasn't just a character role. Um, but she, I, I thought it was weird having just come from the ballet world because I wasn't used to seeing uh, anybody above the age of like 40 to 45 on stage unless they were doing a character role. But what I found out as we started to really research this work was that this dancer was actually following the footsteps of Mary Anthony and Mary Anthony, when she had originated this part, um, I can't remember. I think she was in her forties or fifties, but she actually danced this role into her seventies, which in the ballet world, I mean, right now we have Alessandra Ferry, you had Margot Fontaine, but anytime that a ballet dancer is still performing ballet works, people are like, Oh my God, like how can they still be dancing at that age? Like they're grandmas at this point or grandpas. Um, but in, in modern dance, it's much more acceptable and, and much more common for dancers to uh, last longer. And I think part of the, the, the training has part to do with it. And also the, uh, the focus being more on different ways of moving the body allows dancers to have uh, longer lasting careers. Um, in ballet, I think that it's so uh, intense and so not that modern dance can't be intense, but the, the way that you use your body with the flexibility and the rotation in the hips and uh, all of those things, I think that that makes it much more difficult to have staying power as a ballet dancer. Um, okay, moving forward to one thing that I mentioned in there that I wanted to say. Uh, so, a lot of modern dance works still often follow uh, the script of storytelling. But if you look at the works created with modern dance versus ballet, usually classical ballet tells the fairy tale stories, like you'll see Sleeping Beauty, you'll see Swan Lake, where you won't necessarily see that in, in modern dance works. Not that you can't, but um, that work Threnody that I was telling you about, it is a story about fishermen and how these fishing towns had families that couldn't survive without these men going out for time periods of time fishing to uh, not only feed their families, but also to sell fish to make money. But it was a very dangerous profession and the families, the, the, the women never knew if they're husbands, fathers, sons, brothers were going to come back from from the sea. And uh, so that gives you an idea of the types of stories that are often, not, not often told, but more of a, an exploration of stories that were more realistic than the fairy tales where you have uh, somebody falling asleep for 90 years and then being awakened by a kiss. <laughs> Alrighty, now that I have given you a little bit of uh, an idea, background on what people often 
think of with modern dance today and also a little bit of uh, how modern dance is understood today uh, based off of its history. So it might be a little bit of what you heard in, in Melissa's podcast or what you will hear if you go over and listen to that. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the tricky relationship between ballet and modern dancers today. Now, while there relationships were quite tenuous back in the day between ballet and modern dancers. Um, I, I still see some of that bleeding into relationships today. I remember back when I went to the School of American Ballet, it was actually really interesting the way that the dormitories and the cafeteria were set up because the School of American Ballet students were on the bottom four floors of the dormitories of uh, the Rose Building, which is the building that houses New York City Ballet and the School of American Ballet. Um, now, attached to the Rose Building is Juilliard. So the students that lived in the Juilliard of dorm, uh, uh, that lived in the dormitories at Juilliard, they actually um, lived in all of the floors above us. So we shared the same building and we also shared the same cafeteria. And <laughs> I remember a very specific moment because I actually got along with some of the Juilliard students. I'm, I'm still friends with Benny Royce Royon today who has uh, been on Broadway. He was in The King and I and he also has his own company and is still heavily involved in the modern dance and contemporary world. Um, but I remember have, there being a moment in the SAB cafeteria, in Juilliard cafeteria, where I don't know exactly what happened. I just remember looking up from my dinner plate and seeing an, a School of American Ballet student turn to a Juilliard student and the School of American Ballet student turns to the the dancer from Juilliard says something the Juilliard dancer turns him and says school of anorexic bitches and then the the SAB student had a reaction and turns him and goes Julie Lards um and I mean if you think about it it's kind of ridiculous it was typical stereotypes of what uh, a modern contemporary dancer would call a, a ballet dancer and vice versa, saying that ballet dancers are stuck up and that they don't eat and that modern dancers are bigger than ballet dancers and they don't have the same technique uh, as, as ballet dancers. So those are typical stereotypes of... Uh, what a lot of people think across the lines uh, of these styles of dance, especially in their earlier years before they realized that we're all in, in this together. Um, but yeah, I remember there was a period of time when I first came out of School of American Ballet where I refused to see modern dance performances because I had seen a picture of a production. I can't remember who was performing it, but it was a company and a dancer had their leg in a la Sacon and their leg was barely above 45 degrees and their foot was barely pointed. And I was like, I don't want to see that. Um, so it, it's just really interesting to see how the perceptions change over the years. Um, but I want to give, uh, you two ideas of experiences that I've had throughout my career. Um, one was actually quite recently, um, that kind of shows there's still a tenuous relationship between people that really try to hold on to the values of both ballet and modern dance.
The first I'll tell. So I, I danced with Oakland Ballet back in 2014. And as a part of their program, they were bringing in San Francisco-based and Oakland-based artists, essentially Bay Area artists, to choreograph works on us um, while we were there. And they had brought in Melissa Fenley, a fantastic modern dance choreographer, uh, to create a new work on us. But one of the challenges was Melissa had fractured her patella and she was in a leg brace that she could barely even stand for a couple of minutes um, let alone show movement so she had brought three of her students from uh, mills college to help teach us uh, a work that she was developing and for me i was trying to be very open-minded about uh, this experience and these students came in they taught us the choreography really really fast and i had trouble picking it up because i hadn't had this training um so, at one point, I stopped and I asked if if we could go over something, and I had mentioned uh, I wasn't sure if we were doing this thing uh, turned out or turned in. And the dancer turns to me, and granted, I had been professional for 12 years at this point, and she was still a student. She turns to me, and she sort of like scoffed at me, and she goes turned in this is called parallel um so <laughs> we were speaking the same language but we had different approaches to it but she was she was upset and offended by me not having that specific knowledge of the terminology that has been created for modern dancers over the years um and then she would turn around and she would laugh at me because i wasn't picking up the choreography fast enough um or she would make fun of my ballet training. So it was interesting to see how uh, she was still in that mentality that like ballet dancers think that they're better than than we are. They made it through this aesthetically challenge art, out challenging art form. They get paid more than us. They're in big opera houses. She still had this idea that we looked down on them. Um, but for me, by her reacting that way, she seemed the same way to me, um, where I was like, oh, she's just like a bitter, angry, modern dancer that is upset because her body didn't fit into the ballet aesthetic. <laughs> and that uh, something probably happened. She wanted to be a ballet dancer, but she's just a failed ballet dancer. There are a lot of people these days that still think that modern dancers are essentially ballet dancers that didn't have the body or started too late or couldn't figure out the techniques, so they went to the easier art form. And I'm here to say that that is not the case. <laughs> so I, I'm not saying that this is how it is, but there is this common perception between these two worlds that this is how it works. Now, one experience that I've had, uh, or that I had back when I danced with Pacific Northwest Ballet, really changed my mind about modern dance. And that's probably why I went into that experience at Mills College with a bit of a different perspective. Um, somebody had invited me to go see Spectrum Dance Theater, uh, which is run by... Um, why is my memory failing me at this very moment? Spectrum Dance Theater is run by Donald Byrd. And... I remember somebody inviting me to come see a show and I was, like I said before, I had this idea that modern dance was these these failed ballet dancers that couldn't produce the beauty that a ballet dancer could create. And um, 
my husband, uh, he convinced me to go see the show because we had some friends that were really adamant about us going. I remember sitting in the audience watching the production and having my mind blown because this was considered Seattle's modern dance company. And all of a sudden, one of the first things that happened was one of the, the, the dancers lifted their leg and they had a beautiful line. They had beautiful feet. They could balance on releve. They could turn. But at the same time, they were grounded and they could get down the floor and they could move with grit and uh, aggression and they were animalistic. And this really... It shocked me because this is the first time that I noticed that something was changing in our, our dance world. Um, and what we were doing is modern dance was starting to come back to ballet, um, which I thought was fascinating. Um, and I only noticed it happening on that, si on that side of the spectrum. Um, but then as the years have passed and as I'm starting to codify and a syllabus for my own personal technique for contemporary dance, I'm finding that ballet is doing the exact same thing. Ballet dancers are expected to be able to get down to the ground and to be able to move with a different type of fluidity and outside of the structure of classical positions um, of the arms and of the legs. So it's been really interesting to see all of these things starting to, to come together. Um, I really do think that we are in a new era of dance and it's exciting, especially to be in the New York dance scene and watching all this happen um, and also to be a part of it. But uh, where modern dance and ballet for a while had to completely disown each other to separate each other and so that modern dance could create its identity, it's really fascinating to watch how the two are starting to come together. And this is where contemporary dance is being born. Um, every time that I teach a contemporary class in New York City or anywhere across the country, I always have a conversation about what contemporary dance is, and I really do think it is the best mix of ballet and modern techniques. Um, so yeah, I am developing a different uh, understanding and respect for both sides of the art form. Um, but I had an experience <laughs> earlier this year that showed me that even though I am open to both sides, that even when you are open to both sides, people don't always understand that or they may be so close-minded that they can't see it. Um, I was seeing a performance at, I, I can't remember the exact name of the place, but it was something like the Japan Art Society uh, in New York City. And they had they were having a, an Asian contemporary dance festival, and they had brought a dancer from Japan, some dancers from South Korea, I think there was one from Taiwan. Um, and it was this beautiful performance. And in the middle of the production, I was there with my friend uh, Lee Witchell, who runs the, the dance log website. He's a, a well-known critic in the New York dance scene. And we were, he had brought me to see the show and he had seen one of the local, we call them downtown modern dancers in the, in the audience. And he said, Hey, come on, I want to introduce you to this guy. So we went over there and we were talking about the performance. And I had noted that the Japanese dancer never pointed her toes. It seemed like she had classical technique cla or classical technical training, but I just wish she would have shown me once that she could have pointed her toes. And he said, well, the, the, the guy that I was being introduced to, he said that he didn't necessarily need that. That didn't mean anything to him. It was more about the, the way that she moved and expressed herself. And I was like, I completely understand. I appreciate that. But I feel like I, I just wanted to see where she had come down from, from ballet. Um, 
And all of a sudden, I used the wrong terminology, I recognized, because this guy turned to me and he got really snippy. He goes, down? So do you think that modern dance is down from ballet? And I was struggling quickly to think on top of my feet and to find the words that I wanted because I wanted to make sure that he understood that I appreciated all of it and I had respect for all of it. Um, and I couldn't get out fast enough because he just cut me off. But essentially what I was trying to say was ballet did come before modern dance. And I was looking at it down the family tree of dance. Um, but I never got to say that. So at least I get to say it now. Maybe he'll listen to this episode and hopefully he won't hate me. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so um, it's it was interesting for me because it really showed me that while I do feel like we are starting to find a middle ground between ballet and modern dance in this contemporary area, that there still is a very... Uh, sometimes very challenging relationship between the modern dance world and the ballet dance world. And I think a lot of it comes from personal personal vendettas. Um, I mean, the last thing I can talk about here is that uh, I did a residency with Nickerson Rossi Dance in Westchester, Pennsylvania last week, and it was a contemporary ballet residency. Um, and I don't teach contemporary ballet classes. I teach ballet classes and I, and I teach contemporary classes. So, on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, we did ballet, and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we did contemporary. And I could tell many of the dancers had come for the contemporary, and they thought they were going to do contemporary classes all week. Um, but by by the Friday ballet class, I, I wanted to stop and have a conversation with the dancers and essentially just tell them that... Yes, if you did once have a, a good relationship with ballet, and maybe it did... Uh, you didn't get to succeed in what you wanted to do and you did transition to modern dance that you don't have to hate ballet because uh, a lot of the dancers I spoke to two of them and they said oh just I, I used to love ballet I only trained in ballet as a kid and then I realized that I didn't fit within that small aesthetic and I left and now it just doesn't feel good on my body or this or that and we end up having a, a nice conversation about how you have to find a way to let ballet help you in your dancing because it is a foundation for structure. But at the same time, with ballet taking ballet dancers taking modern or contemporary classes, uh, it, it's the exact same thing. They're reciprocal techniques. They're, they shouldn't necessarily be you only do this or you only do that. I know a lot of ballet dancers hate improv, improvisation. Um, I love improvisation, but it's this idea that even if it doesn't feel right on you, that it can still be very beneficial to you. You don't have to be fantastic or perfect or great at everything you do, but if you can find an appreciation for something and use it to benefit you, it can make you a better dancer in whatever genre you wish to be a part of. So... I think that this is a really interesting topic to talk about. I'm really glad that Melissa asked me to do another crossover episode. I want to say thank you to her again for inspiring this episode. Um, it's been interesting for me to explore this as I've, as I've been sharing with you. Um, if you haven't checked out Melissa's POS from the past podcasts, please be sure to check her out. Uh, and also definitely check out the crossover episode because the two of them will be related to each other. Um, but yeah, she has many valuable and informational podcasts over there. Um, she's been podcasting for, I think, about as long as I have. So I hope that you found some valuable information in here today. If you have any comments or uh 
any thoughts or if you agree or you disagree, go ahead, send me a comment, reach out to me. I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. And maybe I will share uh, what you share with me in a future episode of Potted Chat. So with that, I will close out this episode. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Potted Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorollis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcasts on the Premier Dance Network. You can find them on iTunes or on premierdancenetwork.com. There's no E at the end of premiere new hosts from your favorite dance companies are being added monthly if you want to connect with me to see where i'm choreographing teaching and what i'm doing in my everyday life you can follow me on facebook instagram where my name is b Corliss, or on twitter at bariscos also be sure to subscribe to my blog life of a freelance dancer where i've been writing about working as a freelance artist for over five years i also have a youtube channel that features my choreography and that is under the username b Corollis. Thanks for listening in to Pod of Chat. I hope you return next Friday to talk dance with me. And remember to go out and support your local dance scene.